Welcome to Saving Grace Church, located in Indiana, Pennsylvania. Our mission at Saving Grace is to love God, love others, and reach the world for Christ. We hope that this message brings you closer to God and helps strengthen your walk with Christ. If you have a Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 16. We are continuing in our series through the book of Matthew. Let me pray as we begin the sermon. Holy Spirit, we ask for your help. We ask that you would speak to us. Lord, there are so many different life stories represented in this room and, and for those watching online, and you know which, what every single person needs. And Holy Spirit, we ask that you would apply your word to every very specific life situation that only you can do. Ask for your help we pray that your word would become alive as we, we look to your word and look to understand it. And I ask for your help in preaching your word. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we are in Matthew chapter 16 today. And as we are or starting the sermon, I, I want you to think about the very first Bible verse that you ever learned. Okay, what is the very first Bible verse that you ever learned. I was thinking about the very first Bible verse that I ever learned, and I didn't learn it in Sunday school. I didn't learn it in a church. Um, I didn't actually learn it around the dinner table, but I learned this Bible verse when I was very young, as far back as I can remember. And I learned the Bible verse actually either in a boat or on the way to get into a boat to go fishing or crabbing, which I did a lot when I was young. And I think you actually know this Bible verse, or at least a version of it, by memory. So I'm going to say the first part, and then I want you all to finish it, okay? So I'll say the first part, and then you finish the phrase. Red sky at night, sailors delight. Red sky in the morning, sailors delight. Take warning. Red sky at night, sailors delight. Red sky in the morning, sailors take warning. Now, you might be thinking, I didn't, I didn't actually know that was in the Bible. Um, a version of it is in the Bible. It's actually in our passage that we're going to look at this morning. And that phrase is an ancient phrase. And the idea of that phrase is if the sky was red at night, it was going to be clear in the morning and smooth sailing. If the, the sky was red in the morning, it was going to be stormy and not smooth sailing for that day. So that seafaring saying is an ancient old saying, and Jesus is actually going to reference that saying in his um, confrontation he's having with the religious leaders in our passage. So we're going to look at that in a moment, and the big idea that we're going to see in this passage today, under the heading of the title for this morning, which is Eyes to See, is that since spiritual sight comes from God alone, we have to look to God alone for spiritual sight. Since spiritual sight comes from God alone, we have to look to Him for spiritual sight. In Matthew 16, verses 1 through 20, we're going to see three things emerge. The first is that we, like the Pharisees, by nature, are born spiritually blind. And we must not look 
to those who are spiritually blind for spiritual sight. So if we want to understand spiritual things, we want to learn from those who can see spiritual things. And in order to do that, we need divine intervention in order to have true spiritual sight. See, Jesus is in yet another round of confrontational meetings with the Pharisees and the Sadducees, two Jewish religious groups. And he's going to use this seafaring saying to make a point. You all know how to read the weather, but you teachers of Israel can't even understand the spiritual reality of who Jesus is, of who he is. And so look at verses 1 through 4, and we will pick up our, our, a version of our saying this morning. And the Pharisees and the Sadducees came to test him. They asked him to show them a sign from heaven. So Pharisees and Sadducees show up, and they came with one purpose, which is often their purpose, to test him. Give us a sign from heaven. And he answered them, When it is evening, you say, It will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning it will be stormy, for the sky is red and threatening. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. Remember, this is pre-Weather Channel, so this is kind of amazing that they could do that. An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given except the sign of Jonah. So he left them and departed. So do you feel the tension? The tension is, you teachers of Israel, you who have the Old Testament, you can even tell the weather, you can accurately predict it, but you have no idea who the Messiah is. You, you are blind as a bat when it comes to the big answer to the problem of all of humanity. You can't see at all. I mean, we can broaden this out. Think about all the things that we can learn from men and women throughout history. Discoveries. All kinds of amazing discoveries. Pick a, pick a century and something was invented and developed further. And yet, some of the most brilliant minds that have ever walked the face of the earth are completely blind when it comes to knowing how to have a relationship with the living God. Blind as could be. And that, that's kind of the point of what Jesus is both teaching the Pharisees and the Sadducees and teaching us as well. See, before we're too hard on them, by, by nature, we too are blind to who Jesus is, to our need for Jesus, to how you become right in a relationship with the living God. We need something to happen in order to have spiritual sight, which we're going to see near the end of the passage. So let's not be too hard on them, because by nature, we're no different. So they're asking Jesus for a sign, and if, if you're not familiar with this account, it can seem a little harsh, but one of the reasons he's so harsh is because they were supposed to know these things, and they lived this double hypocritical life where they, they had the the, the trappings of religion, but they didn't know God. They didn't believe God. And they didn't have a love and a compassion for people. So by this point in Matthew 16, Jesus has done so many signs demonstrating who he is and why he's come. He's 
healed the blind physically. He's rescued people trapped into all kinds of sinful lifestyles and given them new life. He's spoken to the paralytics who couldn't walk and suddenly they could walk. His friend Lazarus died and he called him by name out of the grave and he came back to life. The signs were numerous that Jesus was in fact the promised king and anointed one and yet they couldn't see and they didn't believe in the hardness of their own hearts. But he said, I'll give you one sign. And he actually says this in Matthew 12 too. Also, um, the sign is the sign of Jonah. Well, what's the sign of Jonah? He explains it more in Matthew 12. Then some some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him saying, teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, same phrase, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign But no sign will be given except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up in judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. But behold, something greater than Jonah is here. In other words, what he's saying is there's going to be a sign, and this sign is going to be greater than Jonah actually living in the belly of a fish for three days and then being spit back out to shore, preaching to the, the people of Nineveh, and they actually repented. And the sign is going to be when Jesus is crucified, when he, when he dies on the cross for the sins of the world, and then he is buried, and then on the third day, Rises. He's saying someone far greater than the prophet Jonah is here. And yet you cannot see. That will be your sign. And so part of the sign of Jonah is a call to repent. A call to turn and trust in Jesus. See, no human invention, no human wisdom will ever come up with a Savior like Jesus. All human systems point back to human effort. Whether it's a philosophy or a religion, it's human effort. You do this or you don't do this and you achieve this or earn this or gain this. Not so with Jesus. Jesus says, I will do it all for you. I will live perfectly, sinlessly. So when I die, I will die as your substitute. Not only that, when I am buried in the ground, I will rise from the dead, which no one can do, conquering the power of sin, conquering the penalty of sin, opening the way wide to have a relationship with the maker of heaven and earth. And what he invites us into is faith, to trust in him, to turn from our sinful lifestyle and to turn from our moral confidence. So maybe you're not doing bad things. Maybe your life is as clean as could be. And you're very proud about that. See, the the problem is, the standard is absolute 100% perfection. So you're not as clean as you think you are. The main reason you think you're clean is because you're comparing yourself to other people 
that are, let's say, morally dirtier than you are. But compared to God, who is absolutely, perfectly holy, you're filthy compared to Him. Now, that might sound harsh, but it's to lead you to the only remedy for the human condition, for your human condition, whether it's expressed in outward immoral sin or smug self-righteousness, you need a Savior, and Jesus is the Savior. So let's not be like the Pharisees rejecting the answer. What more sign do you need than a risen Lord and Savior? Right? If you're taking notes at all or you have a phone out, just write down Acts, or not Acts, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And there you'll see at the beginning of chapter 15, there were over 500 eyewitnesses to Jesus rising from the grave. So they have this lively interchange, and Jesus is training his disciples. So the next thing he wants to do is to tell them, watch out for false teachers. Watch out for spiritual people that reject Jesus. We must not, this is point number two, we must not look to the spiritually blind for spiritual sight. We must not look to the spiritually blind for spiritual sight. Someone can seem really spiritual with their ideas and smooth talking, but if they reject Jesus as Lord, Savior, King, Rescuer, the hope of humanity, you do not want to follow them. They will lead you astray. They will lead you away from the God who loves you and made you and sent his son to rescue you. In verses 5 through 12, Jesus is going to, to, to instruct the disciples. But they're going to be a little slow on the take. So I'm going to read this. And there's a, there's a pretty large element of humor in this, this interchange between Jesus and his disciples. And remember, minus Judas... This is the future of Christianity that Jesus is talking to right now. This is the hope of the world, humanly speaking. When the disciples reached the other side, they'd forgotten to bring any bread. And Jesus said to them, that first sentence is going to be important. They forgot some bread. Jesus said to them, watch out and beware of the leaven or the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And they began discussing it among themselves without Jesus in the conversation. We brought no bread. In other words, we're hungry. We're going to be really hungry, and we have no food. But Jesus, aware of this, said, Oh, you of little faith, why are you discussing among yourselves the fact that you have no bread? Do you not perceive do you not remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many baskets you gathered? Remember who I am. I can multiply food. I did it twice for you. Or the seven loaves for the 4,000 and how many baskets you gathered? How is it that you fail to understand that I did not speak about bread? Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Light bulb went off. Then they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisees and 
the Sadducees. So the disciples, maybe like us, maybe like you, maybe like me on a Sunday morning, especially when there's something going on in the church and you smell food, but you're sitting in here and it, you feel like a cartoon character, just kind of, the scent comes in and grabs your nose and grabs your attention. Um, that's kind of where their minds were, and Jesus is trying to instruct them. Beware of teachers that reject me. Beware of teachers that reject Jesus. That is a really good test for who and what you should be looking to, like a baseline to learn about the Lord. There are many great teachers. There are many good authors. There are many good pastors and speakers about Jesus. But intermingled with that, there are many that reject Jesus as God and King and fully man. And so those who believe this is God's word, all 66 books, it's our authority, it's true, it's how we know God. They're who we want to unite with. Those who reject this book and slice it up and take parts out and twist and contort and then ultimately reject Jesus as fully God, fully man as described in this book, that's who you want to stay away from. Those who believe this book and preach Jesus as the only way to salvation, they're our brothers and sisters. We want to unite with them all over the globe. Even if they're in a different stream than us, they're in the main big stream of Christianity. Faith in Jesus alone as the truth, the way, the truth, and the life. We want to, we want to unite with them we want to learn. Those who close this book, contort this book, and paint a picture of Jesus that is not the real Jesus, you don't want to learn from. Whether that's on YouTube or TikTok or something you're reading in a bookstore, be discerning. This is the test. This is how you tell. And you want to bring other brothers and sisters into it. So he was concerned he was concerned that they follow blind guides. Do not follow a blind guide. Because a blind guide cannot see the danger. And they will lead you into danger. And Jesus was so crystal clear. Heaven and hell are real. We either, when we die, we either go to heaven to be with the Lord forever, or we go to hell experiencing his wrath and punishment forever. It's a great chasm. There's no, there's no middle. And the only way to not be punished for our sins is to trust in Jesus. And so we want to learn from and we want to follow those who are pointing us to Jesus, to trust in Jesus. And that's what he's telling them. But the disciples, I, I love the disciples for a thousand reasons. One is they're they are like us. They're like me. They're, they're slow on the take. So they weren't rejecting Jesus like the Pharisees and Sadducees were, but their sight often was fuzzy. Put up the, the eye exam. It hurts to look at. I know I've been staring at it way too long. But so can you see what the first letter is? Shout it out if you know. E, what's the second? F and P, yeah. We won't go any further, but you can take that one down. Don't put the other one up yet, though. Um, 
they could see, they, they knew faith was growing, but it was fuzzy at times. And maybe that's where you are. Well, what we need to do in those times, we need to pray, we need to read the word, and we need to be in fellowship with other believers, with other Christians. And over time, that, that vision will get clearer. You can put up the other. Doesn't that look good? Now, if you're in the way back, that, that bottom line, I'm actually having trouble reading it from here. But you can see much more clearly. That's what the Holy Spirit does. That's what illumination of the Holy Spirit is. That's what true teaching about Jesus does. You can take that down. But we're like that. Well, if our vision is fuzzy, or let's say you can't see Jesus at all, it, it just, you want to see, but you just can't see, or you're starting to see, but it's a little fuzzy, what do you do? Well, we turn to the Lord, which is our third point. We need divine intervention in order to have spiritual sight. We need God himself to open our eyes. We need God himself to turn on the lights. Not just that initial time when we first turn to Jesus, which we need him to do, but all throughout our Christian life. Lord, give us more sight, more light to see you. Look at verses 13 and 14. Jesus is with the disciples still. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked the disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? That's a title for Jesus. And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Who do people, what, what's the word on the street about me is basically what he's asking. What's, what's the buzz? Who, who do they say that I am? And they give him three answers. John the Baptist, who was beheaded. Elijah, who lived a long time ago. Or Jeremiah, the weeping prophet. Now, we don't know exactly why, but they omitted one of the people or things that, that people said he was, which was Satan himself. So maybe the disciples were afraid to say that. Maybe they thought, that's kind of a sensitive one. We won't, won't do that. Or maybe they were thinking it was just the wider crowd. But for whatever reason, um, they looked at each other and just zip it on. Three's good. Three's good. He, he gets the point. Um, but then Jesus looks at Peter and asks, and Peter, when, when Jesus is asking this question, who do you say that I am? If you looked at that in the Greek language, that's a you plural. That's not a you singular. So he's, he's talking to all the disciples. Who do you guys say that I am? So when Peter answers the question, he's speaking really on behalf of uh, the rest of the disciples. And this is what he says. You are the Christ. You are the Messiah. You are the promised one from the Old Testament Scriptures. You are the Son of the living God. You are God in the flesh. You are God sent to us. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona. Now why does he call him Simon, not just Simon, but Simon Barjona? Simon Barjona literally means Simon, son of Jonah. 
Simon, whose dad is Jonah. What he's doing there is he's, he's drawing attention to Peter that naturally you're the son of your father, Jonah. So for me, I am son of Brian. The, the point is, what he's about to say is your lineage didn't give you the ability to see and understand who I am. It was supernatural. It is supernatural. It's not your family line. It's not the fact that you are growing up in a Christian home. You're going to a church. No, something greater is at work. And this is what Jesus wants his disciples and wants us to know. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. But my Father who is in heaven. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. Your family influence is not the reason you trust in Christ. Your intelligence is not the reason you trust in Christ. Your ability to research all the world religions and philosophies and conclude that Jesus seems like the best option is not the reason you trust in Christ. If you trust in Christ, it's because something supernatural has happened to you. The greatest thing that could happen to any human has happened to you. He says it this way here, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Elsewhere in the New Testament, we know it's the work of the Holy Spirit that comes inside of us and brings us from spiritual death to spiritual life. And that life presents itself in faith. We, we trust in Jesus. We trust in Jesus for our salvation. We trust in Jesus for our sanctification, for our ongoing transformation. We trust in Jesus when life gets really hard, when life is terribly difficult. There's a peace. There's a joy. There's a rest. There's a hope that the world knows nothing of. Well, that didn't come because you grew up learning about the Bible from your mom and dad, which is a wonderful thing. It didn't come because you attend church regularly, which is a wonderful thing. It didn't come because of all the books on your bookshelf. It only is there because something supernatural has happened to you. You've been born again. You have been made alive Another word theologians use is you've been regenerated. God's Spirit has come inside of you and made you alive. And that is incredible news. That's why for some, the cross, what Jesus has done on the cross, dying for our sins, is the sweetest news in the world to you. But for some... It's confusing, simplistic, it's even disturbing. What's the difference? Paul tells it about it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For the word of the cross is folly, is foolishness to those who are perishing absolutely ridiculous foolishness. I remember when I was 19, before I was a Christian, I had a Bible class at IUP, 
I wasn't a Christian yet, but I was reading the Bible for homework. I was at my friend Jim's house, and I stood up on his furniture, and I just started preaching the Bible, making fun of the Bible. So we were doing our homework, and I'm just like a TV evangelist, just making fun of Jesus, making fun of the Bible, making fun of everything that many of us believe. It was utter foolishness. It was senseless. I could not see Jesus. I did not believe in Jesus. And I thought you all were crazy. Absolutely. And then God opened my eyes. And I turned from my sinful lifestyle and trusted in Jesus. I was born again. And that same foolish cross became the power of God to save me, transform me, and make me new. So if you love Jesus, you've experienced this incredible miracle. And he is your Lord, Savior, King, good shepherd, faithful shepherd who will never leave you, forsake you, desert you. He will make sure you make it the whole way to the very end of your life when you enter into God's presence. He will, he will keep you. He will protect you. If you can't see this right now, we're so glad you're here. I am thrilled you're here. I'm thrilled you're watching online. Keep asking Jesus to make himself real to you. Pray, cry out to him. I remember my, probably one of my first prayers, other than I got in trouble, and God, if you're real, may I not get in trouble. After those prayers that weren't real sincere, it was, if you're real, if you really are real, I really want to know you. He answered that prayer. So ask, start there. Open the book of Mark. Start reading. If this really is your word, speak to me. If you, this is really true, show me who you are. Jesus said in John 6, verse 37, the second part, anyone who comes to me, I will never cast away. So if you come to Jesus... Doubting, but interested and curious and not sure, but wanting to know. And, if it, and you see him at work around you and other people. He will answer your sincere prayer. Keep moving towards him. Last three verses of this passage have more complications in them that we're, than we're going to address. I'll try to get into them briefly. But Past the, the complications that have been debated throughout church history, there's this just great truth that Jesus is the king and head of the church and nothing can, can come against it. Look at verses 18 through 20. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it, against the church of Jesus Christ universally, globally. The gates of hell themselves will not prevail against Jesus' people, Jesus' bride, Jesus' church. And I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged his disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. For those of you who, who get the church newsletter that I send out on Fridays, I'll, I'll explain these verses in more detail um, 
then, so it comes out every Friday at 9 a.m. If you're not on that mailing list, you can go to the Connect Center after church and make sure you're on that mailing list. There's a lot of debate about this, that Catholics would use this as one of the proof texts for the Pope. Um, I don't think that's accurate or true. I don't think Peter thought that was accurate or true. But we can get in all the, all the debates and the details of that, but the, the point that we miss is Jesus is the head and king of the church. No man, no human being, whether it's the Apostle Peter, the Apostle Paul, or the millions of Christians that followed are the head of the church. Jesus is the head of the church. Jesus is the keeper of the church. There's a lot of underkeepers, under shepherds that that are called to watch and do their part for their blink in life. But after they pass, which we will all be part of that, Jesus will still keep and protect his church. So you can have great confidence in the success of Christianity. We need not fear our age, our culture, the tide that seems to be shifting. Study history. Study the first century of Christianity. Jesus will build his church. Jesus will protect his church. Jesus will keep his church. And we can trust him. And we, like Peter, have the keys to the kingdom. The keys are simply the gospel, the entry point. How do you get into the kingdom? You get in through the gospel, through Jesus. And that key gets passed from every generation till Christ returns. The reason he ends in verse 20 and tells the disciples not to tell anybody that he was the Christ was because it wasn't yet his time to be crucified, but it was coming quickly, as we'll see next week. But the big idea is if you see Jesus as king and captain and Lord and Savior, you've been given spiritual sight. You're no longer blind. That is incredible news. And because of that news, let's not look to those who reject Jesus for spiritual help. Look to Jesus and Jesus' followers for spiritual help. And keep looking to the Lord Himself for divine intervention. I want to close with this verse from 1 Corinthians. The Apostle Paul wrote this after his eyes had been opened to see Jesus. According to the grace of God given to me like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. We have the good news. We're to share that good news. We want to celebrate that good news and we want to tell many others about that good news. Let's all stand. I'm going to pray and the band can come up. Jesus, thank you that when we were lost, when we were blind, when we were wandering, when we were trapped and enslaved and ensnared, 
and all kinds of vices. You came to rescue us. You came to make us alive. You came to give us hope and life. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would move among us as we sing to you right now. I pray for some you would give spiritual sight for the very first time as they sincerely call out to you. Lord, we love you. We pray that as IUP students come back this week, Lord, we ask that you would move upon the IUP campus in power and bring a great harvest among the students, among the staff, and among the faculty. And we pray that throughout our whole region that you would work and move. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.